From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. Hey, James, how are you today? I'm glad we're back for another exciting show. I'm doing great. It's always great to be back. Uh, how are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well. I, uh, if, if you didn't catch our last episode, we're, uh, we're excited to welcome back another uh, returning guest, um, not only in the last episode, which was 126, but uh, back in episode 67, um, we spoke with Will DeWitt at Infocom 22, and uh, we'd like to welcome him back. Welcome, Will. Hey, thanks to be back. So if you didn't catch the last episode, Will is the Learning Environments Manager at USC, and um, he famously asked the question, what is an API in uh, our most downloaded podcast to date? So um, we're hoping to continue that conversation, and he, ha he ha has left us off with a cliffhanger. Um, so I'm going to ask him to ask uh, the, his question that he uh, posed in our last episode that we did not yet answer. All right. So my question was, James had mentioned um, if when you're looking at APIs and looking at different software vendors to find ones that um, will support the API calls that will support the software going forward. And especially I've got some background in live events where we subscribe to you do not update ever unless you absolutely have to. But working in AV, everything's on the network. So how do you balance not wanting to update and risk breaking things, possibly something crucial that you're really relying on versus the need for security? I'm going to let James talk about that because this is his area of expertise, but I will be glad to comment too. But I, I know that he has uh, lots of good insight. So this is always a tough battle. Um, and that, I know I've said this multiple times on the show, and that's why I'm a big fan of a uh, sandbox environment, because I know that whole notion of don't break it if it's not broke, uh, meaning don't update it if it's, there's nothing wrong with it. But the problem is we do need to update things for security reasons or to get new features and all that stuff. So we we can't just sit there and play that old game of, oh, we're not going to update this because, you know, we don't have anything wrong. Because one thing special with security, you may not know. That's the same is there might be a zero day um, issue and that, just sitting there waiting to be uh, uh, exploited and you don't even know about it. Um, so you're, you're leaving yourself up for um, potential attacks that way. Um, so that's why I'm a big component of a sandbox. You, you do your updating, you do your um, homework, as I call it in a control environment where, okay, if you, you know, the update breaks something because yes, updates can break stuff. Um, you don't kill production, but the, you also are not holding back production just because, you know, it's everything is peachy keen when under the surface, it may not be. I, I think, uh, James explained that really well. I, I, um, I think that in the past when we weren't looking at 
when we we were in our closed environment, when we when we're talking about um, owning the whole system because we had point to point connections, we didn't really have to worry about this much. You updated because you needed a feature, but now because we're talking about things on the network, it could be as potentially risky to not update as it is to update, if you will, like our fears of updating and breaking something, which are still valid. Um, and, and sometimes you break something unintentionally, not necessarily because it doesn't work, but because it works differently. Um, and, but, but it could be even more severe if you are putting yourself at a security risk. And as we, we famously talk about a lot in this industry, any vulnerability on the network and any product that has uh, a vulnerability can really run the risk of taking the whole network down. So, or 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 being uh, leading to um, a risk of anything else on the network, if you will. So that it's something to really think about. And, and it, but I think James answered that really well. We have to be mindful and responsible about rolling out updates. And my thing is, I, I've seen way too many manufacturers who uh, they play the old school game of, oh, just don't update. We, I mean, we saw that with Flash. When Fla Flash noted that it was changing. And that's the thing is, when I was talking about, you know, monitoring companies when their APIs change stuff, is like, let's take Adobe and Flash, for example. That that was something that many people, programmers, manufacturers, everyone used Flash a lot. Adobe did not just come out and go, we're getting rid of Flash, it's gone tomorrow. There's a two-year window. They say on this date, Flash is going away. And they gave their reason why, and one of them was security, and they kept noting it's going away. Hey, six, uh, 12, uh, 12 months, hey, six months, it's going away. And then finally, hey, in a week, it's going away. And then two days, it's going away. And then they killed it. And then everyone's like, hey, wait, Flash is not working. Uh, so they did it right. The companies did not follow through. And they didn't do their testing, their due diligence. They all just suddenly go, hey, things are not working. What do we do? And then they played catch-up game. And But there are also companies um and that's why i give you the warning will is who will be like oh you know tomorrow i'm killing this api you know wait wait i i use that api why are you killing it and but no reason no warning and then you're scrounging to try to recover yeah we may have had a situation similar to that recently <laughs> um yeah not gonna name names but okay. so I guess that also leads into what are the risks of using like undocumented APIs versus documented APIs? Is there any bigger risk that they'll kill those off or is it all just kind of a crapshoot? I'll let Steve answer that one. Okay. I think he deals with APIs more than I do. So, so um, thank you. And the, the, um, when you're what you're talking about when you say undocumented you're talking about reverse engineering to uh figure out what are the commands and 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 um 
do be, be able to, to listen in to how a, a product is talking or being talked to and, and figure out, like decipher the API that may not be published. I, I believe that that's what you're talking about. Um, yeah, once that, from my understanding, anyway, they exist, they're there, you can use them, but the company doesn't publicize them for whatever reason. And and um, what one thing to note, and and this is important, and and again, I'll I'll define API as application programming interface. Any piece of software that's talking to um, a piece of hardware, whether you're using it to set it up or configure it, that that's all using an API. It 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 just may not be documented as as Will said, or may not be given to out for others to use. Um, so. What happens is is when you um, connect and try to interpret that, although you can get something to work, um, you run the risk of it working one day and not working another day. And there's no accountability to the manufacturer because they never published it and said that they were standing behind it or supported it. And there's there there are definitely products out there, and I. I um I, I don't think it's uh, appropriate to name names, but there are products out there that would um, that stayed very closed and they didn't want to share their API. And this is over years, I'm not just saying recently, um, that that uh, were either did it for to be proprietary or did it because they didn't want to have to support an external API or did it because they didn't understand the value of having an API. And um, from a programmer spec perspective, if you are using something like that, you're do you have to do it at your own risk and a client should know that you're doing it at your own risk. And and um, in our conversation, uh, one thing I keep thinking about is when you're talking about updating, when something's on a network or it's cloud-based, it, that could be auto-updated and you you one day you can just shut off <laughs> and, and it could operate very differently. When you were in days before we weren't on a network, we had more confidence in using that because if you, you had control of of when those updates happened and uh, and you could roll them back, so um, that's just something to think about. But the to you know answering your question is that um, you really want to work with a product that has a supported API, and you want the manufacturer to um, tell you that that this is something that that they stand behind and are going to be using moving forward because sometimes a, an API can be sunset kind of like what James said and and you, you just have to be careful about that so it's it it's just it's important to uh, to get the manufacturer or the software providers buy in that this is going to be something that they're, they're going to continue to invest in um, and famously uh, Twitter now called X decided that they were no longer going to make their API public and really caused a lot of uh, stir and uh, rendered a lot of software useless. So that's a, a good example of how an API in the in the world outside of AV can really impact things for people. My my take on the whole uh, document versus undocument API is, and like I said, I'm going to go more back to this curious side of things is 
when you have a document API, um, that allows security experts to actually see what is going on easily and then report back, hey, there's a vulnerability here. With the even with the manufacturer, like this doesn't even have to be a conversation with you. A security expert can go through those APIs and then talk to this uh, manufacturer and be like, "Hey, here's your security vulnerabilities and all that stuff." If it's an undocumented API, now the security expert has to really dive in, really put a hole into it. And as he said, it's not a um, what's the word? A supported for the manufacturer they're like yeah whatever they're willy-nilly so they may not even get that security audit done leaving vulnerabilities done and then leaving you as a, a customer um at risk for leveraging uh security issues is that helpful for you me or it will mute it yeah i think we lost you for a oh, second my bad i could hit mute sorry yes sorry that's very useful um good good so yeah. how many programmers would we need to implement whether documented undocumented updating whatever an api or does it i'm sure it's probably one of those famous answers of it depends I, I thought that you were asking a joke. I mean, yeah, how many I, programmers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Exactly where my mind went, Steve. I was like, I, yeah, well, I would say it depends. I mean, one, it takes the level of your programmer, the knowledge, the skills, the workload a programmer has. I mean, having a documenting API um, and a a programmer who use, you know, task with maybe as in our world, a hundred classrooms, like that's going to make their lives a lot easier than an undocumented API. Um, or if you have a team of programmers, you know, one could be just sitting there going through the documentation or non-documentation API and creating a, what I would say your internal document of how to use say API um, while everything else is being done by the programming team. So really, yeah, there's a lot of variables to take into account, I would say, on that. And then adding to that, it it, it also has to do with the complexity of the API and, and the, how you're planning to use it or the, the products that you're interfacing with um, and and um, the functions also that you need. So we, we've been doing this for, for, for since the inception of, of AV control programming. And it's just now becoming more mainstream because of the exposure and and the 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 fact that everything really relies on an API these days. Um, so it, it's become more um, in the spotlight, which is a good thing. Um, but we've been doing this for a long time. We just called it something else. We used to call it like the control protocol or the command set or and and we used to use just RS-232 communication and you'd have to send it a couple of strings and maybe you got some feedback. And that's that could be very straightforward if you're talking to a static device that you just needed to turn on and off or do something very simple with it. Um, but when you're talking to devices that have um, that are expandable 
and that have a lot of communication going back and forth, it can, can get quite challenging because um, there, there are um, different ways to approach it that could work um, on a small scale that may not work on a larger scale. Uh, so answering your question is, is I think that it'd be important to understand if somebody's really good at doing something like this, that that's the person that probably should be focused on doing it, whereas the others maybe should be focused on implementing what this person did so that you kind of have shared responsibility. The the person who is who, who can write the code to integrate the API really focuses on that as their specialty. That that's that's where I see things headed. And then you have your um your your project programmers that take what that person wrote and then implement it and customize it to provide the solution for the client in, in the specific need. What what um what, what, where, where do you see um APIs being valuable to you um, in either currently or moving forward? Well, especially since we're dealing with a lot of classroom stuff, just we deal with so many different manufacturers and so many different control systems. And as much as we try to standardize on one and find common languages they speak, common control protocols, it's impossible to find all of them, especially that will meet your needs because manufacturers and products tend to pack in as many features as they can. And then we come along and we take as many features out as we can because we want <laughs> things to be as simple as possible. We want the professors to walk in the room. I want it just to work. I don't want them to, like, if there's a big Staples Easy button, I want them to be able to hit it. But once they hit it, there are a hundred different processes that have to happen in the back end that they will never see, never know, don't need to know, and I don't want them to know to make their class happen. And making that as seamless as possible reduces our our headaches overall, but it reduces the need for for staff and reduces lets us take our existing staff and spread them out to better serve our customers because budgets are always tight. You need to spread your resources as far as possible. So the more we can automate and do on the back end, even if it takes extra work up front, that pays dividends for years. Great commercial for API integration. They, so just to clarify, you're talking about trying to set up tools and and potentially automation or um, mm. ways of being able to exchange uh, data between a local room and maybe some central location or do, doing things in the background, as you said. Can you give a couple of examples? Uh, sure. For example, a teacher walks into a room. What do they want to happen? They want their laptop on the screen. Okay. Well, they need to connect their laptop to the system. The system needs to know which input their laptop's on. The system needs to know what displays to send their laptop to. There's the system needs to route the audio. It needs like there's all these different steps 
and we could put a hundred buttons on the screen, but then we're getting a support call every single time someone walks in that room. Like I've been in rooms that I can't figure out. And we're asking someone that's got 10 minutes in between classes to rush in from their, when they're not even done mentally transitioning from their last class, get their stuff, get set up, get plugged into this complex system. Uh, we need to take care of that for them. So what I'm trying to do is take the load off the user and put it on the system, put it on the APIs, put it on the integrations and have that do all the work for them. So to steal a catchphrase from Apple, it just works. <laughs> I want them to walk in the room and I don't want them to have to worry about anything. I want them just to know that they walk in, it works, they're done, they teach their class, they fold their laptop, they walk out the door, done. So are you using but, scheduling to to do that or, or tools that help to automate so that the system is ready when somebody gets there? Um, the way ours work, it's um, the professor, we have wireless connection that they can connect to or we have wire connection. And then once they connect to either of those, it shares um, the microphones, the webcams, and um, all that kind of thing to the laptop and then sends that to the screen and to the speakers and routes it for them. Um, I don't know how deep in the weeds you want me to get about how our system works, but it's it's one of those things that's very simple, but I've seen the work it took on the back end to implement. Sure. James, is there any um, anything in, in your world that um, you've benefited from using an API or any, any examples that you could share that, that you think that others might be able to, to find valuable? Um, unfortunately not, not that I have, but the one thing I want to, would like to say is going to what Will was talking about, that simplicity for our users, but the complication behind the scenes that is what us programmers are, where our light are, where we shine. Because um, one thing is, Will and I both work in higher education. Our institutions are completely different. Will, it sounds like his institutions is heavily on BYOD. Mine's not. Mine's is heavily used on in-room equipment. Um, so they're completely different requirements and setups. And so that takes a lot of backend stuff. And that's one thing I think that kind of drives me a little bonkers with manufacturer is they try to sell a uh, one size fit all appliance saying, hey, this is what higher ed needs. No, that's not what higher ed needs. That might be what school down the road needs, but that's not what higher ed needs. Absolutely. Sorry, yeah, I'll get off my soapbox. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. What we have oh. here is not at all what we used at my last institution, which was not at all what we used to the institution before that. Like everyone is different and there is so much history and legacy and equipment and institutional needs that are baked in that only the people on the ground understand. And that's why we need the integrations, the ability to customize and make things work because we will give anybody our line drawings. We'll give them everything. But that doesn't mean it's going to work 
because they might not have the same needs, the same equipment, the same network setup. It doesn't same time zone. It doesn't matter. There's lots of little things that can go wrong, but so you need the ability to mold it to your needs. It's probably a good place for us to wrap this one up, but that's, um, that's honestly what programming does is, uh, is, is take, takes products, puts them together and customizes the experience to meet what the specific requirements of the user are. So that's, uh, it's always good to have that tie in. Um, we'll do it from USC. Thanks again for being with us and thanks for sharing some really great questions. I look forward to having you back again. Um, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about what you're doing at USC? Thanks. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Will R. DeWitt, um, or you can email me uh, at my USC address, wdewitt at usc.edu. Great. And uh, James, any uh, parting words and how can people uh, find out about what you're up to and get in touch? Uh, it's great having Will on here, ask some questions and uh, providing some knowledge. It's um, always great hearing from our listeners. And you can find me on Twitter at AV underscore James King. Again, um, LinkedIn, not there much, but I, I'm on there. Uh, anything with HEPMA, I'm out there. Uh, Google me, you'll find me. Wonderful. And for me, you could find me at Steve Greenblatt on social media, my company, Control Concepts at controlconcepts.net. And um, you know, I'd love to continue this conversation some more. Um, API integrations kind of near and dear to my heart. So I like these episodes and like making sure that we're, um, we're, we're having conversations about things in the industry. And I think that it's also valuable when we have these conversations, not to assume that uh, everybody has the same background and level of knowledge. And um, we're, we're able to speak in terms that people can understand. And hopefully we did that today and um, nobody should ever be, um, be, be uncomfortable asking questions that they don't know the answers to. That's what, that's what we're trying to, to do and uh, how we're trying to serve the industry. So please uh, continue to do so. And thank you, Will, again, for uh, being here and doing that for us. Um, you can see this show on YouTube. You can listen to us on Google and Apple Podcasts. You can also um, make sure uh, to leave a review, share your favorite episode, and to um, like and uh, give us some feedback. And um, we'd like to have some more guests, some more good questions, and like to hear more from you. So please uh, reach out to us. And with that, this has been Ask the Programmer. <laughs>